What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Josh Smith, and I'm joined by my co-host and producer, Raul Clement, and my other co-host, Dustin Shu. And this week, we've got on Steve Clark and John Watson from the Devil's Den website. Uh, we're going to start off today a little bit talking with Steve. He's going to talk a little bit about recruiting, introduce himself, what he does over at the site, and then we're going to get into a non-con uh, preview and we're, or a non-con wrap-up and an ACC preview. All right, so I'm going to introduce Steve Clark, recruiting analyst for 247 Sports. Been a longtime writer over at the Devil's Den. I'm happy to have him on today. Uh, Steve, I'll give you the floor, kind of introduce yourself or give us a shout out. Happy uh, happy to be here with you guys, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for including me in the uh, Devil's Den uh, podcast reboot. Excited to be working with you guys. Uh, as Josh mentioned, most of you guys that are listening to this probably know me. Uh, I'm Steve Clark. I'm the senior recruiting analyst with the Devil's Den. Uh, we were talking offline before we uh, uh, got on here to record that uh, uh, this year actually marks 20 years since I first started uh, doing work for uh, for John uh, at the site. I remember back to uh, my first article coverage, if you will, was uh, covering Shavik Randolph and J.J. Reddick when they were playing AAU basketball as juniors at, uh, at my old high school in Hampton, Virginia. So that'll give you an idea about how far I go back. And uh, it's been a blast ever since. Gotten to, gotten to see the the ups and the downs and the changes and all the different approaches uh, to recruiting that uh, that Duke has done uh, since then. And I think uh, ever since the one and done era, it's been particularly unique uh, to kind of cover how Duke recruits, the the new challenges that are there with uh, recruiting in the in this day and age. And it's been uh, it's been fun to do. Um, I know uh, we wanted to talk a little bit from an overview perspective about uh, Coach Shire. Obviously, he's going to be taking the Taking the taking the reins next year uh, for Duke as the new head coach, and he's already signed uh, five guys for his new, actually six now with, uh, with Christian Reeves um, for his uh, inaugural uh, recruiting class. And I think from from my standpoint, I've seen a lot of those guys uh, in person over the over the past couple of years. And I think the thing that that I've heard a lot mentioned that I totally agree with about the class is just it's very well balanced. And I think um, when you compare this class to uh, other due classes, even in even in recent memory, I I think the versatility is going to lend itself in this class to play, maybe in a little bit of a different way. I think we've all kind of, especially in the one and done era, we've gotten used to seeing Duke uh, kind of feature their stars as they should, you know, because when you're bringing in guys like Tatum and Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett and others, like those guys are going to have the ball. And I think with this class, I think they they were recruited with intention and purpose to be able to blend well together. And I think versatility is a word that it's easy to toss out around in this area, but I really truly do think that this class with its versatility is going to be able to complement each other. And a guy like Christian Reeves, who just uh, just committed, he's a teammate of Duke's, uh, one of Duke's future point guard in the class of 2023 from, uh, from Oak Hill, Caleb Foster. Christian Reeves is a guy that I think is for sure going to be at Duke for maybe five years, depending on if he red shirts right away. Uh, I haven't had a chance to see him in person, but I will next month at the Hoop Hall Classic. His team is playing up there. But from talking with guys that I respect that I've known for years uh, on the scouting circuit, he's a guy that, uh, because of the schedule that Oak Hill plays, I like his defensive versatility. Uh, the comment that I got from multiple guys that know his game a lot better than I do at this point, he's a guy that when they have to guard, pick, and roll, he can play drop coverage. And I think the biggest thing that he brings is his ability and flexibility to guard different positions. Even though he's a you know pretty close to a seven-footer, 
you know, he's mobile enough to be involved in pick and roll action and, and defend it in different ways. And I think anytime you're bringing in a guy to be a big to develop, you want somebody that can guard different positions on the floor and not just be limited to the floor. So I think for me, that, that really excites me about him. And I'm going to get a much closer look at him over several games next year. So I'll stop there. Any questions, guys? Um, I guess just kind of hitting on Reeves a little bit. Is yeah. he kind of one of the the a more modern style big? You would say. Does he have any kind of perimeter game from what you've seen or heard, or, or how would you see him kind of playing at the next level? I think uh, I think you, in a way, you kind of answered the question because most bigs, uh, and this has been a trend we've seen for a long time. Um, most bigs uh, at the high school level, whether they're playing AAU with their high school team, they definitely try to show. Uh, that they have perimeter ability. Now, most guys try to do it on the offensive end. So when you think about a guy that's going to be a teammate of Christians, like with Derek Lively, um, he's a guy that has been intentional in trying to show his outside ability with in terms of shooting the ball uh, because everybody knows him as he's a really good rebounder and he can block a lot of shots. And I think Christian is a guy who maybe he's not as prolific of a shot blocker the way uh, the way Derek Lively is, but because he plays in a system that at Oak Hill that they like versatile bigs, he's a guy that's capable to play on the perimeter, play on the post, but he's not a guy that's going to like try to have the offense run through him. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. For so sure. I think, I think developmentally he's the perfect kind of big because he's a top 100 kid. And I think because he's had so many injuries in his high school career, Duke is a perfect place for him because if he goes in and recognizes that, Hey, I'm going to be here for the, for the long haul, Duke is the perfect place for a plate for a guy like him because of the, the strength and conditioning staff, all the work that Nick Potter does, you know, all the support staff, the way they help these guys develop athletically with their body. How, I mean, like you saw it with, with Wendell Moore this year, like all the mm. improvements that Wendell Moore has made with just how he runs his explosiveness. Like Duke has a whole program uh, around helping those guys improve their bodies and their skill sets. So a guy like Reeves, He's going to benefit from being in a program like that because of his past injury history. They're going to, you know, from day one when he gets there, they're going to they're going to take a look at his body. They're going to measure his athleticism. They're going to measure how he runs and all those different things that physically they do every year with all their guys, and that's going to help him huge once he gets to do. For sure. And you mentioned Wendell Moore, which is a, a nice segue. Um, before we move on, I guess, the John, do you have anything that you'd want to add for, for Reeves or anything you've seen or heard in particular? I know that he kind of got offered and seemed to commit almost out of nowhere. Yeah, it's kind of a Nolan Smith special with Nolan's um, you know, history with Oak Hill. Um, just found a kid who's got all the measurables, all the potential in the world, but he does need some seasoning. He's going to take some time. Really good practice player next year. Um, you know, ideally he has a, maybe like a Jordan Goldwire career where first, first two, three years he's in Durham. He's a practice guy. He comes in, gives some energy minutes. And then maybe, maybe by his, uh, junior, senior graduate student year, he'll be able to be in the rotation. Um, you know, but he's, he, he's a nice piece and he means that, um, you know, Duke will have more than two bigs on the roster next year, which is a huge help. Yeah. So you mentioned a uh, graduate student year. So you think it's a certainty that he would redshirt? I think a lot of it's going to depend on what they do in the transfer portal. Um, yeah. I, I truly believe they're going to try to get an experienced big man similar to Theo John uh, after this year. I don't know if they'll get one as good as Theo, but they will have options. 
Um, you know, because right now the only post players they're going to have are Lively and, and Filipowski. Yeah. And that's two freshman bigs as your only bigs just doesn't work, not in this day and age. And Mark Mitchell, of course, can play power forward and will play power forward at Duke. Uh-huh. But, you know, they're going to have lineups next year where they have two bigs. And so you're going to need them to be able to practice against somebody. And, you know, with all due respect to Keenan Worthington and those kind of guys, it's just they need a little bit more, more pushing them, more. Uh, so that's I think that's what you're going to pretty much get there. But to answer your question, yeah, I think he definitely red shirts next year. Yeah, hmm. and I think the other point to make uh, in regards to Reeves, John's comment is spot on with they they need bigs long term. And I think when you look at the 2023 class, the guys you know that that we've been covering at the Devil's Den, they're recruiting a ton of guys that are you know going to be and already are the high priority guys for them that are more kind of big athletic wings. And I think you're going to see them bring in multiple of those guys that you know they're versatile enough to play you know anywhere from the two through the five depending on which guy you're looking at because they have size, but they're more wing in nature. So I think a guy like Reeves, if you're looking for somebody who's a big that can fit in in a lineup like that in future lineups, he complements a big wing, you know, featured kind of offense like what Duke, like what Duke could potentially have in 2023 when you look at the guys that are the priorities for them. For sure. Um, and I'm sure as we keep going, we'll continue to, to dive into to the recruiting aspect. Uh, today we're going to kind of focus on, we're going to do a non-conference wrap up since we're kind of here at the midpoint and then we're going to jump in and do an ACC preview. Uh, so for, for the non-con, I'm going to pass that over to Shu. I know he's been at probably four or five of these games by now. So, so what are you seeing? What do you got for us? Well, Josh, thank you. Uh, just a quick rundown from people here that, uh, I'm sure if you listen to this podcast, you've probably watched every game, but just in case you've missed a few, Duke, of course, started the preseason as the number nine team, started week one, uh, first game out with a bang with a win over Kentucky in the Champions Classic, um, number 10 Kentucky at that time. Continued that uh, weekend with the uh, the MTE at Duke and the uh, Duke's Veterans Day Showcase uh, wins over Army. A uh, little bit of struggle with that Campbell team. Maybe that was just because that was our first um, back-to-back games of the year. Um, next week, we we move up to, to number seven in the poll and get uh, easy wins over Gardner-Webb and Lafayette. Uh, followed the week up with, uh, uh, with a move up to number five. Played Citadel early in that week. I um, guess if you guys remember that game, they shot the lights out on us. Um, I believe they had a record-breaking yeah. night, like 19 threes or something. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, but then we followed that uh, that up with a huge win, win of the year so far uh, by beating uh, Gonzaga out in Las Vegas. Um, I was there for that game, electric atmosphere, one of the best games that I've been to, uh, especially not on Duke's campus. Um, following week, we moved up to number one after that. And then, of course, we know first uh, road game of the season at Ohio State. Um, second half just kind of kind of crumbled and stumbled down uh, down late and took our first and only loss of the year. In the uh, Black Unis. In the Black Unis. <laughs> wasn't, by th- wasn't by 30, so. Josh is already stirring the pot. Yeah. Well, you Throwing know. it out there. <laughs> Uh, and then, then we of course, we were off the next week. Um, AP poll, we moved back down to number three. Uh, didn't play for a week. Week six last week, I guess the uh, the AP voters saw a lot of verve and strong faces in our practices because we moved up to number two uh, <laughs> without having played a game. But uh, we route South Carolina State 
And Raul and I were in the building for my alma mater, uh, Appalachian. Those guys were hanging with us there for a good while. Uh, the guard, I can't remember his name now off the top of my head, but I think he had 17 points in like the first 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Don't think he scored after that, but um, fought off that team. And then, and then of course, the, uh, the replacement to the replacement to the replacement. We finally got to play at least another game against uh, Elon yesterday and uh and won that one decisively so overall um just wanted to kind of kick it around the room and see what you guys had thought what you had seen um that you liked or disliked um uh so if anybody wants to take it from here go ahead well i was actually hoping to hear dustin since you were uh in the building for the uh for the gonzaga game what was that experience like um well so that game was there were a lot of Gonzaga fans, and um, as you know, at the time, they had just beat the snot out of uh, UCLA in that yep. same building two days earlier. Yep. Um, so I was there. I got there the day before Thanksgiving, noticed a lot of Gonzaga shirts, but uh, into later that evening and Thursday, I started seeing more Duke people showing up. So I started having a little bit better feeling about it, but rightfully so. Those Gonzaga fans, they were rowdy outside the arena. When we were walking in. I mean, they were doing their... G-O-N-Z-A-G-A, go Gonzaga, go. And I'm just thinking, man, these guys are, they're fired up. They're ready to go. And, you know, admittedly so, they they had the right to be as cocky as they were. Um, But, yeah, inside the arena, I mean, it was half and half probably, uh, Duke fans to Gonzaga fans, which kind of surprised me being that, you know, all most of us Duke fans flew halfway across the country. Um, but what, a, I mean, just an amazing, amazing game, crazy atmosphere. And of course we walked out with the wind and I'm opening the door at the, uh, Bellagio for every Duke fan for like an hour and a half after that, just high five and everybody and, uh, ran out to the table to try to make a little bit extra money after Duke made me a couple hundred bucks on that, uh, big win. Nice. Yeah. In some ways, I think that was a, actually a great matchup for Duke. Um, you know, not just because of playing high level competition, but, just the way Gonzaga plays really kind of play to our hand because um, you have two big men. Yes, Chet can stretch the floor a little bit, but he's skinny, right? Um, and uh, so he's somebody that Paolo was able to kind of guard on the perimeter. And then Mark was able to handle Timmy pretty well because he's not super fast. And he's also, he's somewhat physically imposing, but he's not like this huge bruiser. And what we seem to struggle with uh, most so far has been like uh, the the sheep ways of the world. (laughs) Yeah, Mark really wasn't able to handle him or keep him off the glass. And then also little teams that run nothing but guards are dragging Mark out into space. And Gonzaga really couldn't do that. Uh, We played off Timmy's three. We even played off Chet's three to an extent. Yeah. So I thought that really kind of uh, benefited us. Oh, I think that's spot on. And I think for me, like watching that game, I totally agree with your thoughts. And for me, I think Mark Williams was the key to the game. I know there was a lot of hype in there and and admittedly so going into the game about the matchup between Chet Holmgren and Paulo. And both those guys were great uh, in their own ways. Don't want to minimize, you know, what, what each of those guys did on the court. But to me, Duke won because of Mark Williams in that game. Like he was dominant on both ends. And I think having watched Mark, since he was a sophomore and a junior in high school. I mean, I always thought that a game like this was a game where he was going to be able to shine because when you pair his size and his confidence that he played with in a game like that, 
I just thought he was going to be the X factor for Duke. And I just think his length, how aggressive he was with rebounding the ball, how aggressive he was in running rim to rim um, after either getting the rebound and pitching out. Uh, I mean, he was he was dominant and Duke needed him to be dominant because of how good uh, Gonzaga was. So, Raul, you, you brought up some really good points like he was Mark was fantastic uh, in that game among many fantastic performances. And I, I think we've all talked about this, but, you know, winning that game the way we did, despite the guard play that night, you know, um, the guard play just wasn't really offensively, at least wasn't there. Uh, Wendell was terrific. Paulo first half, I mean, probably the best first half I've seen from him yet. I mean, he had, I think, 20 points mm-hmm. and the cramping started. Um, okay. and, and then, of course, Mark was just huge the entire game. Uh, so to win that game against the number one team, um, I don't remember what we shot from three. I don't think it was great. Um, but, I mean, all in all, to to win that with with the backcourt being, I think they were, what was that, the five for 24 between something Roach and like Kill, something like that. I mean, it was a rough shooting night for those guys. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was big, huge win. I'm, I'm glad we got that one because uh, we all said coming into the season, you know, playing Kentucky, Gonzaga, Ohio State, we'd like to get two or th- three or three, you know, but two or three um, essentially will will do do well for us. I'll say that I like the way it worked out too. I mean, I'd rather beat Gonzaga and lose at Ohio State, if that makes sense, just in terms of strength of schedule, can pump, because the ACC, as we're going to see, isn't going to offer too many more great wins. Um, So I think, uh, you know, I'd take that. You know, it sucks the way it happened. I think that second half at Ohio State's probably one of the worst halves I've watched from Duke. And if we just removed last year for what it was then in a long time, I mean, just to, we were cruising. It looked like, you know, this is just kind of going and you keep looking down and we're not scoring, we're not scoring, we're not scoring. Um, so, you know, being in the building for that one as well, um, I was just thinking about it the other night. No point in that game that I feel like we were going to lose until mm-hmm. about four minutes left. And I was talking to Raul about it at the game the other night. I uh, went back and I looked on the the win probability on ESPN and Duke had like a 90% win probability up until about four minutes and 15 seconds. I can't remember the kid's name, but he hit a corner three and the crowd's going crazy. And I just thought to myself as I'm sitting here by myself watching this game, like we're in we're in big trouble right now. This is not going the way I kind of expected it to go. And of course, like I told Raul, our win probability dropped from 89 to pretty much zero in the next three minutes. So it was, yeah, yeah I saw and the guard a guard play bad again. <laughs> I saw a stat where uh, we scored, I think 0.61 points per possession in the second half, which needless to say is awful. Yeah. I mean, even 1.0 would be bad by Duke standards, right? You know, we typically average well over one. Um, and so that was, has to be historically bad. It has to be one of the worst halves we've ever played. Yeah. I think not, there was some, I think there were some lessons learned for Duke uh, from how they run offense from the Ohio State game. But I think on the flip side, I think there were some good lessons learned for them in that week where they played uh, Army and Campbell. Because for me, the way Army and Campbell played and the success that they were able to have against Duke on offense, I think there's lessons learned for Duke on how they defend against teams that they're going to see in the ACC who play a similar style to how Army and Campbell play with that. I think, Raul, you mentioned the four out, one in. And I know we're going to talk about the conference schedule coming up, 
But I think anytime you go against a team that can play four out and one in, spread you out, ball screen, have guys that can do direct drives, I just thought there were some lessons learned for Duke on how they defended Army and Campbell that pretend well for them in the ACC because you play against teams like Army and Campbell who spread you out, lots of ball action, lots of off-screen or off-ball screening action. You're going to see that a ton in the ACC because they're not going to go up against a lot of teams in the ACC that are as big as them overall size-wise. So you have to be able to defend uh, against teams that can play four out on one end and move the way Campbell and Army did. So for me, that was a big takeaway from those two games. They get, I think they learn lessons that will help them in conference. For sure. And I want to send this uh, over to John right quick, but it also seems like as we're talk- wrapping up the non-con these last this last week of games, we really saw some good stuff from AJ. Um, yeah. Kind of strung together three games in a row. Again, we've seen that already against some bad competition, but it's good to see it consecutively. Uh, John, what are, what are you kind of seeing or hearing from him on kind of where he's at? He, he looks like he's hopefully kind of solidified a spot in the rotation at this point. Well, I think so. I think he's going to be the seventh man after Theo off the bench. Um, this week was really big for him. I mean, like you said, he had the – you know, we saw that really big game midway through the non-conference, and then he disappeared for two to three games after that. Um, mm-hmm. Having the two weeks off for exams, he really did a lot of one-on-one stuff. He did. He was working with Nolan. He was working with John. He was working with Chris. Um, just, you know, all facets of the game. And, you know, he had a big game. Then two days later, he had another big game. Last night um, against Elon, it wasn't a huge game, but he made a couple big plays. Um, he had one, like a chase down block. He had a uh, couple deflections, knocked down a three. I mean, just you can see it coming, and he's he's getting less hesitant. Um, you know, one thing I noticed, and Steve saw him in high school, so he can mention this, or you guys can mention what you've seen as well, but I real I know it's not going to happen. I mean, let's let's be real. He's gone after this year, but another year at Duke doing the sports medicine thing, having them really get into his body, really get into how he runs. Because right now, I mean, there was one thing where he did where he he chased down the Elon guy and actually deflected the ball last night. But running looks like just like it's a huge labor-intensive activity for him. It's not fluid. It's not – his shot looks like that too. It just – you can tell he's he's trying to figure out how to – be more fluid, be more effortless with his motion. And once that happens, I think the kid's going to be a top, top NBA player. Um, But right now he's, he's missed two and a half years. And so, you know, uh, the thing on the message boards has been pretty accurate, you know, no, he's not going to be Harry Giles where he's a ghost of himself, but you know, are we going to see the best of him? Yeah, probably not. Not if he leaves after this year, but um, you know, he could easily become an X factor guy. He can yeah. easily become the guy who just comes off the bench and give you some energy plays. Knock, I mean, he might be Duke's best shooter as well. I was going to say that. 100%. Yeah. 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 So it's just, it's really just a mental thing and being able to work himself in. Um, but with you guys talking earlier about, you know, teams are going to play small against him. He is the ideal small ball four. Yep. He is just as Winslow reincarnated in that sense. Um, so long as he gets it, you know, mentally together and continues to improve and gets more comfortable, uh, he's going to make Duke go from being very, very good to probably, you know, able to play on the last Monday night of the season good. Yeah, and that helps minimize some of the kind of weakness right now, sliding him down to the four. It seems the foot speed really shows more on the defensive end, and that I saw Kay kind of getting into him a little bit too. But if we slide him down, 
taking maybe away from the perimeter a little bit, maybe that neutralizes some of that kind of keeps him in the game a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. And and the other thing you're seeing is, uh, you know, you guys were talking about earlier, you know, Paolo's getting moved down to the five a lot lately. And I think you're going to continue to see that, um, you know, as the season goes along, just to be able to counter small ball. And, you know, I think, you know, you saw that Ohio State game, you know, in the second half, Banchero was taking a lot of, a lot of threes, a lot of mid-range. Not much this last week. There's mm-hmm. been a you can tell there's a directive for him to go inside, mix it up, and and, and to figure that out. And I think that's something Shashevsky's really made a point of this week. And I think going back to Griffin, I think as a whole, we need to give him a tremendous amount of credit for he is he's a different player in a lot of ways from what he was pre-injury in high school. And I had the I had the opportunity to see him. Uh, a couple years ago, he was playing with his high school down at the City of Palms uh, Classic, which is a huge holiday tournament every year uh, in Florida. And he and this was all pre-injury when I saw him a couple years pre-injuries uh, a couple years ago. And for his high school team, he played with uh, R.J. Davis, one of the uh, combo guards who plays at North Carolina. And on that team, he was the primary scorer. Uh, for them. Griffin was. And so he had the ball a lot in his hands. They would run pick and roll all day uh, for him. And I loved his shooting motion uh, pre-injury. I mean, he was a guy that they looked to to score. He took a lot of shots. And because of his body, you know, he was just so physically dominant that he showed some things on the defensive end and with rebounding just because of how physically gifted he was. But since the injuries, he's had to adapt his game. And I give him such credit that he knows he's working his way back into to be able to be a high major, high top quality player from a skill set perspective. And I love that even though he's working through things on the offensive end, all the intangible stuff that he's doing for Duke, the fact that he's willing to do that, the fact that he's willing to come off the bench as a top 10 level player. Uh, with with his skills and athleticism, I just give him such credit because there's been plenty of other examples across college basketball of guys of that similar athletic ability who were dealing with injuries that maybe they didn't play as hard as AJ clearly is from an intangibles. Doing Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think I just give him a tremendous amount of credit, and I agree that the confidence that he got. Uh, from these past three games are going to be huge for him. And now the key is going to be, does he continue to have moments in games, especially as you go into conference that continue to build that confidence because he clearly got some good confidence over these last three games, but now the next step is putting it all together even more uh, in the conference. Cause I agree with John. He's, he's a huge factor for Duke with his versatility and his ability to play as a small ball four. he could help Duke for sure going into conference. Yeah, we have let we have yet to see him sort of do that against elite competition, right? So, yeah, he's making step back threes over, you know, App State or whatever. Um, but can he do that against? Even though the ACC is down, it's still going to be a step up in competition in terms of physicality and size and all that stuff. So, yeah, and that's that for me exactly is why I give him credit for his approach to the game on the court because he could just rely on it that on his athletic ability and that'd be fine. But because he's pairing that with, in my mind, elite level hustle and just intense focus. I mean, I just love seeing him chase after loose balls. He's a willing passer. He gets involved on the glass. 
Like he does all the other things that you want in a basketball player. And because he has that athletic ability, he's going to make an impact if he continues to do that while he works out his, his offensive confidence uh, as you go in a conference. I just such respect for him as a player. For sure. For sure. Shoot. You got anything else for, for non-con or. Um, no, I mean, only thing I was going to mention, you know, just something that we had seen and, uh, liked or disliked, you know, and Kay's mentioned it, the rebounding, you know, we've, I think we need to shore up the rebounding. Um, obviously that first game against Kentucky, I mean, we let Oscar get five gazillion rebounds against us. You know, Shoot, we still every, won. Every, every team is allowing that to him. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but even the smaller schools that we were playing in, in our kind of cupcake schedules, it seemed like we were uh, either barely winning the, the rebounding war or even losing a few of them. But the one thing I had liked, uh, especially a jump from last year, and I had this brought up, um, our assist to turnovers, we're, we're sharing the ball. Um and we're and we're taking better care of it. Obviously, Jeremy's a, a a veteran as a sophomore now, um, so that has a little bit to do with it. Um, and, but also, Wendell. I mean, Wendell's progression because Wendell's basically been playing the point for us, you know, for a, a lot of the the minutes. So just just jumping up uh, from from sixteen to seventeen assists per, per game, and last year we were at twelve point eight turnovers a game and we're down to eight so yeah i just like yeah. i like seeing that a lot I, and i don't think a lot of un, enough people are talking about the confidence not only that wendell is playing within himself like he's clearly taking a jump as an offensive player but the confidence that he instills in the rest of the team like we all can like look back on prior duke teams and there's that one guy that kind of brought the the verve you know the, yeah and we joke yeah. about it but like wendell is that guy for this team like he imbues confidence into everybody else with how aggressive and how confident he is. And I just think we're not talking enough about that with him. Yeah. Love seeing that too. Wendell's actually played right down the road from where I, where I live about two miles from my house down at Cox mill. Um, so I actually got to see him, see him playing in, in high school. So shout out to Ben Pye for that one. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, he's what's, he's what's great about college basketball, right? Especially because yeah. we don't get to see that as much as we did 15, 20 years ago. It's a little more rare to see that. Um, but I mean, he's been incredible. I mean, I would have to say, as we kind of segue a little bit, that he's probably my pick for ACC player of the year at this point, if he's able to continue doing, um, you know, what he's doing kind of Chris Carroll 2.0, I think is what John kind of alluded at last week, but. Yeah. Um, you love to see it, you know, you love yeah. to see, it. especially I like having the captain, if not be the best in terms of leadership. And we haven't really had that where the captain's been our guy on the floor um, the last few years. So good to see that too. Well, I guess we can kind of transition and I'll toss it over to Raul here as we kind of do our, our ACC preview and kind of let him break some of that down, get into some of the, the statistics. And uh, I think then we'll, at the end, we'll wrap up by talking about some all ACC stuff. So, uh, Raul? Yeah, thanks, Josh. Um, so I wanted to start with a little bit of a disclaimer, and it's going to be one that nobody really wants to talk about, but we have to. And that, of course, is COVID. So anything I say from this point on may be invalidated by changes to the schedule. We already saw this weekend that we uh, scheduled Cleveland State originally. Then we had to replace them with Loyola, Maryland. Then we had to replace them with our eventual opponent, Elon, right? And uh, after the game, I don't know if anybody listened to Kay's presser, mm -hmm. but he talked for a while about how he would like to see every team 
being tested before they uh, play Duke. And whether or not that's going to happen, I don't know. But he was pretty adamant about that. And he was talking about how he didn't like the uh, forfeiture rule too, which to my understanding doesn't count against your NCAA tournament resume. And it doesn't count against your overall record. However, if we did forfeit a game, we would end up, like if we were have forfeit Virginia Tech, we would technically be zero and one in the conference. Yeah. And so that puts a lot of onus on teams to almost try to play even if they really shouldn't be playing, right? And I think that's why Kay hates it. You know, it's a, you're almost encouraging teams to not test because if they get a positive test, then they can't play and then they have to forfeit, right? So that's just something to bear in mind that we have the ACC schedule and it all looks, you know, nice and orderly, right? But it may get plunged into chaos. In fact, it probably will. Mm. But for right now, we're just going to operate under the assumption that all these games are going to be played. Um, So I think the first thing to start with is that the ACC is really down this year. It might be the weakest season in my lifetime i guess some people would say late 90s but even then i I believe maryland was ranked in the top five going into conference play and it wasn't till duke hammered them that they were seen as the overwhelming favorite so when you compare that to this year you have duke as uh, ken palm number six right now next best team is number 22 virginia tech who will actually be our first opponent. And then you've got uh, Carolina down at 38, and you've got a couple other teams in the top 50. But you don't really have any other elite teams besides Duke. Uh, you know, of course, Duke is the only top 25 team in the AP poll right now. You know, Carolina got a few votes last week, but they're not going to be getting any votes after their 30-point loss to Kentucky, mm-hmm. which, of course, I had to bring up. Um, <laughs> but... Yes. Yeah, so in theory, if Duke was to play to their potential, we should be looking at a really strong conference record. You know, you would like to see, you know, we're not going to run the conference. I'm going to be realistic about that. But, uh, you know, because even in our best seasons, uh, Duke tends to drop one or two games that they shouldn't here or there. And then there's going to be some matchups where we're only favored by a point or two. But you'd still like to see Duke, you know, drop at most two or three conference games. And that's probably ambitious, but that's what you would love to see as a fan, especially for our chances at a a number one seed in the tournament. Um, So I guess the first team to talk about, obviously, would be Virginia Tech. Um, They're, like I said, 22 in Ken Palm, but they already have four losses. And that kind of includes a blowout loss to Wake Forest and a loss to Dayton. You know, they did lose to Memphis and Xavier, which are, you know, those are respectable teams. So, um, you know, that's understandable, but the, the Dayton loss and the, uh, the Wake loss are not quite so good, especially considering I think they lost by 19 points to Wake. Um, so the question is, is Virginia Tech just a sort of good in the computer team? Or a good team overall. They do have some sort of markers that would indicate that they are a good team overall. For example, they're top 10 in three-point percentage. They shoot 40% as a team. And 
they're holding opponents to 25% three-point percentage, which may be a little fluky. You never seen teams hold other teams to under 30% really, right, for the season. So that could just be teams missing shots, but it's still going to be an interesting matchup. And I like the fact that it's our first ACC game, but that we do have a little bit of the comfort of Cameron to uh, to help us handle that because it's going to be a tough matchup for us. Steve, uh, you were talking earlier about uh, you know the spread offenses and the ability to go to small ball to uh, counter that. And this could be a game where uh, yeah. that could come in really handy. So, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the Virginia Tech matchup or the ACC I, in general. I do. They're actually one of the teams that I thought has one of the best chances to beat Duke. And I think I agree with all the points that you're making there. And I think the other thing to talk about with Virginia Tech is their head coach. I believe he came from Wofford before he got to Virginia Tech. So he has a ton of familiarity with Duke. And I think every time that I've watched either Wofford or Virginia Tech play against Duke, like their coach knows how to coach against Duke. And they're the kind of team that, you know, when you talk about ACC schedule, like I, every year it's always talked about, you know, the ACC is up or the ACC is down. And yet, Almost every ACC game that we watch, it's the Super Bowl for that other team against Duke, and rightfully so, because I think Duke is, you know, they're a measuring stick for a lot of programs. And a team like Virginia Tech, they are capable of beating Duke, even with it being a home game for Duke. They're exactly the kind of team that has given Duke problems in the past with that four out, one in. It always seems like they have at least one guy that goes off that Duke struggles to defend. So even with it being a home game, I just think they're they're experienced. They have a really good coach. They run a lot of different stuff, and they challenge uh, Duke uh, when Duke is on defense. I mean, you have to be able to be sound uh, in your ball screen defense. You have to be able to move your feet. I know it sounds basic, but they're the kind of team that forces you to do the basics right. And if Duke doesn't do the basics right with on-ball defense and rebounding and just calling out cutters, like that's a game they could lose for me. I mean, just in my opinion. I think from Ken Palm's uh, predictions, that's our lowest chance of winning a home game is versus Virginia Tech right off the bat. So, yeah. um, like you said, Steve, I mean they're they're going to for and and Mike Young does have familiar familiarity with Duke, so um, I, I I like it as the first test if we can pass that you know first ACC game and especially look it's awesome that it's finally in Cameron. I don't even know if those guys remember how to get back to Cameron. It feels like it's been so long since <laughs> we've played Virginia mm-hmm. Tech in Durham. But yeah, um, yeah, really. It's also an interesting dynamic because they Duke does not have a return game at Virginia Tech this year. Like I was looking at the schedule before, before we got on, and I just think um, they don't have to play Virginia Tech or NC State on the road, but they host both of those teams. So I think you got to figure, you know, the Super Bowl analogy gets tossed out a lot. But especially for those teams where they know we're not going to get a shot at Duke at our place, they're going to come out aggressive. They're going to, especially Virginia Tech, because that's the first ACC game of the of the season. Like I, I think that's going to be a close game. It's going to be a battle. And if they can make, especially if they can make Duke go small, that's the whole thing. That's where a guy like AJ Griffin comes into play because teams like that, if you can force Duke to play small, and if you could take Mark Williams out of the game effectively in terms of rotation then it's a whole different ball game. But if they can keep Mark in the game and play their full rotation of bigs and play the way they want to play, then I think it's that's a very winnable game 
for Duke. But like I said, it, it's all in how the game plays out. Yeah, and I think too, um, they're almost kind of like a, an inverse of, of Virginia of what we kind of historically think of as Virginia, except replace the two-point defense with the three-point defense. But Virginia Tech plays really slow, like really, really slow. Um, you know, they're almost last. They're sub 300 in tempo. So what that's telling me is like, okay, these guys can shoot the lights out of the ball and they're going to be in the half court a lot, which is not what we want to do. Um, so I'm going to, it's going to be interesting to see what the rotation looks like, you know, or Joey, AJ, are those going to be guys that, that are going to play in this type of game with, with really needing kind of the defense to be on point in the half court. Um, I, I agree with Raul with, you know, maybe the, their three point defense is a little kind of misleading. Um, but you know, they're top 30 in offense and defense. And so it's going to be a big test. There's not going to be a number next to their game. I hope we're not sleeping on them. And I doubt we are, um, it almost seemed like the coaches at least were gearing up for the Virginia Tech game with some of the things they did in the last three games here. Not only kind of getting more movement in the offense, but also trying some more of that small ball. Like uh, yesterday's game particularly, we saw a lot of AJ at the four, a lot of Paolo at the five. We even saw some uh, lineups with no center, really. Uh, there was towards the end of the first half, I think Bates Jones was our kind of nominal center. So it seemed like they were getting a little bit more experimental with these small ball lineups. And I have to think they were looking towards Virginia Tech as our first opponent. You know, Kay, of course, would deny that because he always talks about, you know, living in the moment and stuff. But that doesn't mean that the coaches aren't behind the scenes sort of game planning for the future. Yeah. And you're kind of hitting on the point where I think the concern could be because you think about Duke, like they've built their team around being versatile, but they've, I mean, they have three really good bigs. And now here we are, we're already previewing their first conference game and we're talking about the potential of they could be adapting their approach from what they've built this team to be. That's the whole key in conference. If they're able to keep Mark Williams on the court, he's a dynamic on the court that not a lot of ACT teams can account for with his size and his ability to affect play around the rim on both ends. But if he can be effectively taken out, if Duke is struggling in their ball screen defense, it's a whole different ball game. So yeah, I'm fascinated to see where things go. And they, oh. they don't shoot the ball very well from two. So it's kind of the flip from, from three. So I mean, maybe we can just kind of use that as a strength and say, you know, do you just kind of live with the three a little bit, maintain our strength at the rim, um, blocking shots. They don't really block shots. So that's another advantage on the other side, getting Paolo down there, maybe oh. getting Theo, Mark some looks and uh, just well, try they, to use our strength. They also don't foul is another thing, though. So yep. just like us, which we've been really good about that. Um, so we're not going to be able to sort of just beat them up inside and get to the line over and over. And that hasn't been a strength of ours this year for whatever reason anyway. You would think it would be with our size. But we've been shooting well from two, but we're not, you know, and we've actually been hitting our free throws. I think we're up to like 78% now, um, which is impressive considering where we started earlier in the year. Um, and, you know, if you remember Paolo in uh, the blue-white game, I think he went like one for nine from the line or something crazy. And we were thinking, is this going to be a problem? And it has not been. He's over 80%, I believe. So that is a strength of ours, but we're not really able to take full advantage of it because we're not creating a lot of fouls for whatever reason. Well, <clears throat> just looking at their stats here per ESPN, I mean, they've got... Uh, Hunter, uh, I don't know if it's Couture, um, he's shooting 44% from three. Uh -huh. um, they've only got three guys averaging double figures. 
Um, Aluma's at 14.2, um, and he's their highest. So, you know, my biggest thing, like whenever we play a team that we should win um, against is don't let some dude have a career night. Like we went to Ohio State and I'd never even heard of Zeb Key. And I, when I'm leaving there, I figure out, oh, he had a career night and we lost. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it just looks like, you know, I, I know Storm Murphy uh, came from from Wofford and, and followed uh, Mike Young up there. I know he's a three-point shooter. He's at like almost 38. They've got a couple of other guys that look like at 50, and, but maybe that's kind of Bates Jones. They might only take one or two for the year. Uh, but by the way, Bates Jones, if he shoots a corner three, I just assume it's going in. I mean, that <laughs> thing, I don't care if he's been sitting on the bench for 38 minutes. If that thing comes off of his hands from the corner, I, I think it's it's dropping every time. So I wanted to uh, bring in John a little bit to the conversation here and look forward to the rest of the ACC. Uh, John, are there any particular matchups or stretches of the schedule or anything like that that piqued your interest or things that might be trap games, whatever you want to talk about? Yeah, I was looking at the schedule. Um, Duke's actually pretty fortunate this year. They're getting away from that trap game of the Sunday, you know, the, or Saturday Sunday, night, Monday. Sunday. Yeah. yeah, they're getting away. They only have one of that this year. Of course, it is kind of rough because they go to Carolina on February fifth, which is Saturday, and then Monday night they get Virginia at home. Um, of course, both of those teams are not what they've normally been, so that might be an issue. But at least it's in looking, Virginia at home. Yeah, and it looks like. Uh, they don't go to NC State this year because you know State took Purdue to overtime at State. Um, Florida State will figure it out eventually. Um, they've got enough talent where they could be difficult to play. It seems like every time Duke goes to Clemson, there's for whatever reason they they play poorly there. Um, Notre Dame, I can't make out what they are this year. Um, sometimes they're really good. Sometimes they're not good. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know. I hate to say it, but I mean, this is, this should be the first time in however many years that Duke actually wins the regular season title, and they should do it by a game or two, I would think. I mean, they are, they've shown themselves to be so much better than the rest of the league this year. Um, but, you know, they've said that a couple times over the last, what, 12 years now? Something like that. But, yeah, I mean, I, it's really just going to be a matter of can they stay healthy? Can the COVID thing stay away? Um, you know, can can the rotation um, survive with you know Keels, Benchero, and some of the other guys hitting the freshman wall whenever that happens? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really see anything that really gives me a lot of pause. I mean, they're going to be favored in every game between now and the end of the season. Um, some of them they're going to be overwhelming favorites. Some of them it's going to be tight. But you know, Virginia Tech, I'd say Virginia Tech, Florida State, NC State, and, and maybe Carolina. Are, are going to be the ones to watch. Um, but, you know, like we've all talked about earlier, there's going to be a game that they just absolutely just collapse in. Um, you know, I go, I go back to a couple years ago. I forget if it was the Bagley team or or maybe the team before that where they went to Boston College, Boston College. and Boston College mm, yeah. just hit, what, like 35 threes. And it just every time they came down, they were just throwing up yeah. ridiculous three-pointers that went in. It's It's going well, to happen. Yeah. I'm pretty sure our starting five has already fouled out of the game at Wake Forest. <laughs> yeah, probably, Prob- probably. Yeah. Um, and you know, Wake's got some players finally. Yeah, um, they've actually got a decent coach too. So I, I watched the Wake Charlotte game the other night, which was a 
pretty uh pretty exciting game, especially the way it ended. Wake was crushing them up twenty. Charlotte comes back, and then uh, Wake hits as uh, Miskit. I can't remember his name. How you pronounce it? Now? I feel like he killed us last year, but he hit a corner three to to win it for him. So, um, Wake is interesting because I th- I believe they have the best record in the ACC along with us right now. Um, you know, their schedule has been one of the worst in the country, so you can only take so much from that, but they've managed to win all but one of their games, I believe. So yeah, that could be a tough one for us for sure. They're super versatile. And I think the fact that, and this, this also applies uh, along with Wake Forest to Louisville and to Pitt, those three are Duke only plays them on the road uh, this season. So, you know, those environments are going to be absolutely lit uh, because that's going to be the last time that those fans are going to get to root against coach K. And I think a team like wake forest, they're super versatile, they're deep. And I think Steve Forbes is going to have confidence to play a lot of guys against Duke. So I think you could see a team in wake forest who can drive the ball They have multiple uh, driving kick kind of guys that can make plays. That's a that's a concerning game. Duke's going to have to be on their A game because it's going to be a super hostile environment. And again, like I know we talk about the ACC being down, but teams like that have historically given Duke struggles in January or February. Mm-hmm. So that's that's an upset possibility right there. Yeah, yeah I, I was, was just going to say that they're terrible. Yeah, I hope we don't lose the pit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're that, terrible. Yeah, yeah. People beating K in mean, his last ride, like. Oof. But we, I mean, we said it earlier, right, guys? I mean, there's always that one or two there losses or every two, yeah. every year that Duke they go on the road and they just struggle for whatever reason. Was it NC State, Miami, the year we won the championship? We got like destroyed by both think, of those. No, I think it's kind of. I think was it's kind of yeah. made the. It's made the rounds. Like there's always at least one loss every year on the on the road in conference where it's just kind of like, how did that happen? And it happens. Yep. I mean, it's just reality. Well, yeah. at. At Louisville, you actually mentioned that one, Steve. Uh, that's an interesting one because it's right before the UNC game at UNC. So you would worry a little bit. I mean, hopefully Louisville is a prestigious enough opponent where Duke wouldn't be caught looking ahead. But that's still kind of a that's a tough stretch for sure right there at Louisville, at UNC, then UVA at home. Well, and yes, UVA is down, but they play that kind of unorthodox style that could still beat you. I think to your point about the Louisville schedule, I, I was just looking at this. They so they play at Louisville on January 29th, and mm-hmm. then that next game against UNC isn't until uh, February 5th. So they do have right. a little bit of a time, which is great from a turnaround perspective. But I do agree with you that, like, that's the kind of game. Like, and I've actually had the I've had the opportunity to go see that game before uh, Duke at at Louisville uh, up there at their facility, and it's just. That is a super hostile environment that you have to play like veterans when you go into a place like because it's a big arena. They usually have a good team. They, I mean, and like I said, it's you know that's the only time Louisville plays Duke in the regular season this year. So you know they're going to be amped up for that game. Yeah, a lot of teams are going to be looking to us as a resume win. Right, Uh, this is their chance to get in the tournament. Beating Duke could be that one marquee win that puts them over the top, right? Uh, especially since so many of these teams struggled in the non-conference. You know, obviously we lost the ACC Big Ten Challenge, but then when you go through and look at a lot of these teams' records so far, you're seeing three, four losses, and some of these losses are bad losses too. Yeah. So they're really going to need the Duke game to kind of put them over the top, perhaps. 
And I think if anything, like this brings to mind the the larger point when thinking about mm-hmm. Duke, how they approach the ACC. This was Coach K's last time coaching his team in the ACC. And I remember uh, Paulo Bencaro earlier in the season in a post-game press conference, he talked about how we're going to play like Duke. You guys remember that comment yeah, that he yeah, made? Yeah, yeah. I, I forget the game, but like that's the mentality that Duke needs to play with for the entire season. And I think early on, I think the guys like in the big games, they recognized this is K's last go round. We want to play as best as we possibly can. And I think this team is capable of doing that, but that's the kind of mental focus effort that it's going to take for this team to play its final ACC season under K. So if Duke plays with that mindset, especially when they go on the road in the ACC, then I think they could dominate because they have the tools to dominate. But if they just approach it like what we've been used to seeing in ACC, where sometimes they struggle playing in challenging environments, then it's a whole different ballgame. I don't think I'd add much to that other than uh, we talked about the stretch kind of in the middle of the season there, or the middle of the ACC season that typically gives Duke trouble. Um, towards the end of January, we play, you know, four straight, basically top 50 teams. There is a little bit of a break there. And then the one that kind of stands out to me is the end of the season, mm, those yeah. last four games, three straight on the road heading into yep. senior night. Yep. Um, and I was messaging these guys and it's, that senior night is a must win. I mean, there's just no way we can lose senior night case last year. That would be, I'd probably have to go back to maybe 06 senior night as like the, the most crushing loss that, that I can remember on that day. So that that's a big one. Um, obviously Pittsburgh right before that Syracuse, Virginia, all on the road. So opportunity to, to drop a few in there. Uh, Ken Palm has us projected as the favorites in every game we play from here on out. So there's that. Um, you know, he does have us at 16 and four in conference. I'd like to be a little bit better than that, but that seems a pretty realistic kind of neutral, neutral take on that. Yeah. That's a good segue into sort of what everybody's predictions are. Uh, so I thought we could start with, uh, predictions for the record. And then I want to talk a little bit about, uh, some of the ACC awards and what you see Duke potentially winning. So, uh, John, uh, you want to kick us off with that? Uh, what do you see Duke's conference record being reminder that of course to everybody not to you john specifically uh, there's 20 games and that's been right. something that's hard to wrap my head around but <laughs> yeah i think they go 17 and 3 um and which would take their record to what 26 and 4 for mm-hmm. the or 27 and 4 maybe for the regular season mm-hmm. that seems about right yeah that's what i've got too um i hope hopefully we're not all quite on the same page that'd be boring but uh josh <laughs> I'm going to go 18 and two um, just because nice, I, I like it. You know, I, the ACC is not what it has been. Um, now, I still expect one or two infuriating losses probably in there, but I, I just think we got too much talent. And I think the whole K's last ride is enough motivation, I would hope, to kind of just carry us through this schedule. Um, we do have some better breaks. There's not so many of those quick turnarounds that I hope that will also kind of play to our strengths. You know, I think looking at it, we probably should go about 19 and one, but I'm mm-hmm. going to go 18 and two and just kind of say, you know, we'll drop two. I think we do sweep the one that matters. So I'll, I'll go ahead and throw that out there. We've, yeah, we've also got good depth, which should help us. Um, you know, I mean, by K standards, of course, you know, he typically is playing six or seven guys, but I feel like we've gotten into the sort of eighth and ninth guy more often and they look competent. 
you know, I would even trust Bates Jones out there in an ACC game for a few minutes. Um, yeah. So I think that could potentially help us if there anybody has a you know week long injury or something like that, or just somebody gets in foul trouble. Uh, so what about you, Shu? Well, since you guys have already covered all the other ones, I'll just play the Homer role um, and go twenty and zero. Nice wow. to go. <laughs> Not, wow. <laughs> just <laughs> just do it, guys. I mean, this is Kay's last ride. Like, You're gonna look like a genius. You're gonna look I like mean, a genius if, uh, I mean, if it happens. But yeah. I mean. I really, I, I had 17 and three, but all of you guys have picked that. So I'm, right. I'll be the guy. I'll, I'll, I'll go out on the limb. Someone's got to. Yeah. Steve, I don't think it's all that crazy. I mean, not to jump in, but I mean, oh, sorry. they should be 10 and 0 right now or undefeated <laughs> yeah, right, right now. I mean, yeah, if it wasn't for a one lousy half against, I mean, because Ohio State, look, like I said, I was there. We were controlling that game the whole time. And then the second half, I, what did we score? Like 17, 21 points in the second half? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, it, was, it was, you know, you just can't do that. It was, it was, you could see Shashevsky not really doing much about it. I mean, because, you know, there was that one where, you know, Benchero came down and pull, has a pull up three, and it's like, mm. what are you doing? Go inside. You know, go <laughs> yeah. inside. Yeah. But yeah. it just kept happening. I mean, you know, and that's, I, I think that the focus the, for this year, year is that has the always Chuck been Daly, in March. Uh, teaching moment, like, let them, let's, yeah, let it, them lose a the game and show them yes, that it can absolutely. happen. You it nailed it, happen. Justin. Yeah. You nailed it. Yeah, and I think anytime we see him wear the black uniforms in conference, we know that Kay's scheduling a teaching loss. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, don't. <laughs> I just wanted to wrap up the ACC real quick uh, with some sort of thoughts about Duke players that might uh, win awards or even, uh, to be honest, uh, I was thinking about does Kay have a chance at coach of the year? Let's say we do go 18 and two. I know it's really hard now for Shashevsky uh, to actually win coach of the year because he's been so good for so long, but let's say we go 18 and two, there's a big gap to the next best team. Um, I think he's got a shot at it, but beyond that, of course, you've got, uh, I would think Boncaro would be the sort of front runner for freshman of the year. Would, could Mark Williams win defensive player of the year? I think so. Um, and then more, you know, right now, like, uh, Josh mentioned earlier is the front runner for, um, you know, ACC player of the year. So I don't know if everybody agrees with that um, or if there's any other, you know, thoughts you might have like six man or if we have, if we're in the running for any other award. I think before we jump think, into it, okay. John, could you um, now doesn't the awards Duke has to nominate players for the awards, right? So Correct. like they don't do competing stuff. Could you talk about that a little bit just to kind of clear that up? Yeah. So if you go back to the Trey Jones, Vernon Carey season, um, Duke only nominated Trey Jones to be the player of the year. Uh, they did not nominate Vernon Carey. Mm. Um, and because of that, I mean, I thought Vernon Carey was the player of the year that year. Um, I, I love Trey to death, but Vernon Carey had a better year. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, when, when that didn't happen, um, I, I started looking at that. And yeah, Duke has to nominate him. So I kind of expect the same thing this year. Uh, I think they'll nominate Wendell, and I think he'll get player of the year. Ben Chero, you can go ahead and just give him the rookie of the year trophy now. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, Mark Williams, definitely defensive player of the year possible. Wendell's also probably going to be the most improved player this year. Yep. Um, yeah, I was just thinking so, the same thing. I mean, you know, and as far as the K thing goes, you know, it's the LeBron thing. I mean, he should have won MVP for however many years in a row. <laughs> And Shashevsky's been the best coach for however many years, but he just doesn't win it. But being that this is the swan song, I, I could see the media going, 
you know, if they win the regular season, if they are clearly the best team in the conference, I, I could see them could see Duke just sweeping all of the awards, kind of like they did, you know, during the late nineties when they always were the the best team of the ACC. What's yeah. a big turnaround from last year, right? Miss the tournament, go to you know, crushing it the next year. So I could see it happening yeah. this year more more than any other time that he's not got. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And I mean, you know, they brought in the right kind of kids this year. Uh, they brought in kids who could who could and do and will compete from day one. I mean, the first thing we heard about the freshmen all the way back in June was they got on campus and it was kind of like you know either get on our level competition wise or you know get out of the way. Last year, uh, the freshmen had a lot of uh, growing to do, and they were doing that in a weird situation with the COVID protocols and everything, and it, they just weren't ready. These kids were ready from day one. And we're wanting to uh, kind of shut everybody up about Duke. So yeah. um, when you have those kind of kids and then you have the kind of growth Wendell's had, um, you have Krzyzewski. I, I think this is the best coaching job he's done in a while. Um, you know, he's not having to get out and do the recruiting, being able to really get there and be with his guys and to kind of learn his team early on. You know, people say it's hyperbole or cliche or whatever, but this guy is – he wants to go out on top and he he's got the guys to do it. And he, he brought in guys who are on the same page as him. And I think that's been a big, big, uh, yeah. big um, shot in the arm for the program. I think to add on to John, to what John said, uh, I can't overstate the impact of a guy like Theo John. I think that the edge that he plays with and the way he attacks uh, playing on both ends of the court, I think he's been a huge help to Mark Williams. And I think if he, if John can stay healthy, and play every game just by virtue of the way he plays. I think he's got a, you know, if there's a six man of the year uh, type of award, I think he's a guy to, to consider. Like he could have that kind of impact. And I just think he's the kind of edge uh, player that, that Duke needed uh, this year. And he brings it every night. I just such respect for him. Yeah. I, to jump on that, I, I was thinking about it the other night. Like I think that's what last year's team lacked was like a dog. Like Theo, and and we've got several of them this year. I mean, oh yeah, you know that's what I've you know I don't want to call last year's team soft, but um, we just didn't. But they were, seem- yeah. We'll call them soft. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, <laughs> well, let's do that. That's what it was. I, I mean, hurt, that, hurt know. was hurt was an amazing player uh, offensively. Uh, yes, yeah, had yes. a spectacular shooting year, but you wouldn't exactly call him a dog. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, Theo. I forgot who it was this year, but somebody kind of ran into him and he looked at him like, dude, I'm not the one, mm-hmm. you know, don't. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, like, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause I'm was, not the I, one bro. Like take yeah. that somewhere else. Cause I will put you on. Here. <laughs> and I love I, that about that dude. Yeah. I saw the, I saw the tweets about that at the Gonzaga game and the Kentucky game. And I was just like, that's exactly who Duke needed in a game like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like attitude wise. Yes. hundred percent. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up the ACC talk. So, uh, Josh, if you just want to take us out. um. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, we do have a recruiting podcast that we've uh, recorded. We should have that for you guys here in the next week or so. Um, So look forward to that one. We'll be talking about John's first class. Um, Again, want to thank John Watson and Steve Clark for joining us today. As always, you know, if you like what you heard, please kind of subscribe, you know, five stars, nice comments. Um, also, you know, if you're interested in anything else, head on over to the devil's den.com 247, check out the boards. There's some great stuff up there. 
Um, I think last time we talked a little bit about Adam had wrote something about Mark Mitchell talking about the class and there's usually uh, yeah. kind of weekly updates and all different kind of things. And uh, Shu, you want to plug the the email for the pod in case anyone wants to write in with a topic or any suggestions or feedback? Yeah, so we have an email. It's thedevilsdenpod at gmail.com. Um, and I believe it's the is capital or yeah, these capital devils is capital. Den is capital and pod is capital. Did I make that make sense? Okay. Yep. <laughs> Every word's capitalized basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There we go. There we go. We, we can put that in the description uh, for you yeah, all. If we, and, get, uh, if we get enough questions, we could do a Q and a eventually down the road. So that would be, yeah. that'd be fun. There we go. There we go. In the meantime, we'll, uh, we'll shout out Keenan for the, for the big poster. Um, <laughs> and, uh, enjoy the holidays, everyone. If you're out traveling, be safe. Um, you know, strong faces in birth and we'll, we'll see you. <laughs> <laughs>